Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, the podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke. And I'm Jay. Welcome to the podcast. Today's topic, Jonah Hex, the film that severely failed at the box office. Directed by Jimmy Haywood in his live action debut and written by Naval Dean Taylor, the film stars Josh Brolin in the title role, John Malkovich, Megan Fox, Michael Fassbender, Will Arnett, Michael Shannon, and Wes Bentley. This is your warning. We will be talking spoilers. Yeah, I, I failed to see this back when it came out. In fact, I didn't see it up until watching it for the podcast. I rented it on Google Play and watched it, and watched it on my TV. And as I started seeing the, uh, the cast list, I'm like, holy crap. Oh, How the did cast, they get all these yes. people? <laughs> all these people. I mean, this is a DC Comics movie, one that came out in 2010. So this is within Chris Nolan's Batman trilogy. Yeah. But there was obviously enough appeal with this movie that, yeah, this really good cast signed on. Now, this is a movie, probably no surprise to you, Jay, that I actually have on Blu-ray. And I have... Yeah. I've had it for many years. If it's a DC movie, I'll snap it up. But it, I was I was quite surprised to hear, though, that you'd not actually seen it before. No, um, because I was familiar with the comic character only in passing. I'd seen the one or two episodes of Justice League Unlimited. The character appeared in, obviously, the episodes of uh, DC Legends of Tomorrow that he appears in, which they usually do a really good job. And I've read some of the stuff that uh, Justin Gray and Jimmy Piamiotti have done in the comics. Um, but I wasn't familiar with his power set other than being like a scarred um, cowboy who was a Confederacy soldier. That was all I knew. Um, and being gruff, I'm like, I like cowboys. You know, I, I loved Westworld, not just because of the sci-fi stuff, but because of the Western stuff in it. Um, but it's just he's just not a character that gets pushed very much um not in comics not on the tv side and on the movie side and when you know this is josh brolin before Thanos, obviously or cable or any of the really really huge stuff but he was a name being bandied about at the time i think he'd already been in no country for old men um and a few other really large movies. Megan Fox was the biggest thing on the planet at the time. Oh, Transformers. Of, yeah. Yeah. yeah she was um, John Malkovich, you know, had just missed out re- uh, fairly recently before this on being the vulture in Sam Raimi's fourth Spider-Man movie. And Michael Fassbender hadn't really made a name yet. He'd been in 300 and had been, had taken note in a few other movies, but this was, you know, this is before Magneto, which is kind of how, a lot of comic book fans know him now. I mean, he's a, he's a huge star now. And Look Michael this. Shannon. There's so many comic guys in this. Yeah, yeah. So Michael Shannon before Zod. It's Will Arnett before Lego Batman. It's Wes Bentley. Almost oh, be Wes Bentley after he was in Ghost Rider. But a lot of yeah. these guys have done other comic book properties. I mean, yeah, I mean John Malkovich was in Red. That's right, of course, yeah. But with... Will Arnett, like he, he went after this project. 
and it's because like he's the comedy guy he's the comedian <laughs> he wanted to do something with more of an edge to it so he really pursued this i don't what this movie ended up being i don't think it's what they intended got a short run time yeah and there's i reckon there's more movies somewhere on the cutting room floor somewhere in hollywood we didn't get the whole thing here but it, it's it's a fast edgy movie i mentioned written by neville dean taylor they're the guys that did the crank movies with jason statham yeah the ghost rider spirit of vengeance i think they did that movie as well jimmy haywood the the director so i was looking like what else has he done because as i mentioned this is his live action debut throughout his career he's worked at pixar 20th century fox and blue sky studios he was an animator for toy story a bug's life toy story 2 monsters inc finding nemo he was the sequence director and story consultant for robots that was the fox movie with robin williams yep his studio directorial debut was horton here's a who jim carrey steve carell so this is a guy that had been working disney pixar fox working with a-list talent and then he gets his first live action movie jonah hex josh brolin <laughs> as the scarred hero you know when you were talking before about your knowledge of the character i think you knew more about jonah hex before watching this film because who he is from your previous exposure whether it's the cartoons the comics legends of tomorrow that's the character in this movie though there's a whole other thing going on like he can yeah. talk to the dead and you know they use it to good effect in this movie yeah but it's he's got abilities in this and it's like he isn't John Constantine. That's not like magic isn't isn't a thing. Like I know yeah. they've they've played free and loose with him in the comics in the past. Like I read one comic where I think it was in the future, and instead of riding a horse, he had a spaceship. <laughs> and he had ray guns. So they've done weird things with him in the past. It's just surprising that when they decided to make a live action movie. It wasn't just those homeyarty and grey comics. Yeah. For Hex or um, comics. Because, you know, they used some of those. In fact, they, the, the two of those guys wrote the script for the DC Showcase animated short with him, which was really great. They did a really good job with it. Um, it's almost like when making this movie, DC have had a, a past of doing this, of being almost ashamed at the the comic book style or origin of some of their characters with this, they went the opposite way. It was like, he wasn't comic booky enough to get a movie. So they ramped that up. I'm like, yeah, why, why would you do that? Like a straight serious cowboy movie, especially at the time they weren't around, you know, it wasn't until I think the, they try actually around the time. I think they might've tried cowboys and aliens. They did try a few and they all kind of bombed because they were all too, silly um you know it's not until because deadwood i think deadwood was around at the time uh yeah, I think uh, it maybe was. before this 
so they must have known a serious uh like western set film would work it's like they sort of heard his name during the hex oh does he have like witchcraft or a curse or something on him no that's just his name oh we're gonna put a curse <laughs> on him <laughs> but he's okay so he's got the scar let's talk about josh bolan then the like his performance as hex great yeah. Yeah. he's really good at hex and that's why it it is disappointing they didn't make a straight Jonah Hex movie because he's got the snarl. It's just, he plays him so well. And the, the prosthetics on the face look really cool. So they've really, you know, got the look of Hex down. But then yeah. you've got the supernatural elements. But not only that, like the weapon, like when, they, when he's getting the, um, the weapons from the gunsmith, and he's got like automatic Gatling guns on the side of the poor horse. Yeah, a heart attack. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Gets turned up to the extreme, but then again, it's from the the guys that wrote the Crank movies, so I guess we should have kind of expected them to go go in that direction. But Yeah, yeah, the semi-automatic crossbows that shoot dynamite sticks. (laughs) But again, his ability to bring back the dead is confined to this movie. That's not in the comics, to my knowledge. Yeah, talking about like a longer movie, I'm wondering the intro of this film. Uh, it it starts off live action with narration of like his past, talking about the the American Civil War, and then after his actual origin of uh, Quentin Turnbull killing his family in ret- in retaliation to him being directly responsible for his son's death, it goes into a comic sequence of his next his actual origin part. I'm like, did you actually film that live action first? And then you decided to trim that all the way down into a comic sequence because yeah, it it does feel like there's some, some natural paced character development that's missing from this film. Cause it, it kind of goes straight back into him on the chase for Quentin Turnbull. I'm like, there's, "Ah." there's a lot of that. He's facing one way, something happens. He races another way, something else happens. He's shot dead again. Yeah. He's back. He's got crows crawling out of his mouth. There's there's so much. There's just so much going on. But it is, it's a very, it's almost like watching a game of tennis. Like you're looking at left, right, left, right. You know, just to try and follow what's going on. So that's why I definitely do think there's a lot cut out of the movie. We mentioned we've got John Malkovich, Quinton Turnbull. He's the big bad in this movie. Couldn't help notice that Malkovich was wearing a giant prosthetic nose. You know, he's got quite Yeah, that has like a... Yeah. Yeah. Where the scar on the end and also the kind of long ratty mane on the back of him. I'm like, was that because... Because he's, he's introduced with John Malkovich here. Like short and uh, well groomed, and he's supposed to be a man of means as well. You know, like an affluent southern gentleman <clears throat> whose son was an officer, and which is why he's pissed and had has a group of people. This isn't a gang, essentially. They're employees that he's ter- he eventually turns into a militia. But I'm like, why? Why that? Did you think he just looked too John Malkovich? Like. You've got John Malkovich. Lean into it. It's, <laughs> it's strange. Maybe he felt like he needed something to make him feel 
more unhinged? You know what? I reckon Malkovich was looking over at Brolin's face with the scar yeah. and he's like, I want something. <laughs> I don't want to just yeah. stand there looking like me when he's got all this going on. Give me something. But okay. <laughs> and then I'll yeah, because yeah. Uh, I have heard actors talk many times that when they have um, makeup and when they're looking in the mirror and it's a distorted version of themselves looking back, it really helps them get into character. Like, yeah. Was that part of John Malkovich? Like, I'm just seeing me. Can we do something about this? Um, it could be, or it could just be a case that they wanted that definitive distinction. Again, because this film chops and changes from when it's set, it's now, it's then, it's here, it's there. So that's like, you're looking at him, oh, okay, so this is the flashback and this is him then and this is him now. Yeah. Until this rewatch, I completely forgot that Michael Fassbender was in this movie altogether. <laughs> completely yeah. forgot. And then you look at the posters for the movie. It's even in the posters. But I had no idea. Yeah. As you say, he'd done 300. It's before X-Men. And I just, I forgot. So he's playing Burke, who is a bowler hat wearing, tattooed, psychopathic Irishman. And he's Turnbull's right-hand man. I was looking into this just to see, because I was getting things out of his performance. Like, what is Fassbender actually going for here? And what I found is this. He likens his character to that of the Riddler. And to be specific, the Jim Carrey Riddler from Batman Forever. And also Malcolm McDowell's performance in A Clockwork Orange, saying he mainly found his character when he tried on the Derby Bowler. They're both A Clockwork Orange, Batman Forever had characters or villains wearing the bowler hat. But I think a lot of not a lot of, but some of what Jim Carrey brought to the Riddler, also when he's getting a bit more manic, I think that kind of comes out at times with the Burke character only is obviously a lot more violent. Yeah, and I, he was definitely the most uh, impactful character in the film um, because you know Jonah Hex is by the nature of his character fairly controlled and things are as they are and there's no changing it. Um, very accepting. He understands the, the, everything's kind of has a gray tinge to it. Whereas Burke's very, uh, very captivating and uh, not just the, the tattoos on the, the lower part of his face, which a very um, Islander look to mm. the design. Yeah. But yeah, I definitely get the, 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 uh, Malcolm McDowell, Clockwork Orangefield. Now that you've mentioned it, I'm like, yeah, that 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 makes sense. That makes sense where he's channeling it, and he's he's really good. It really he's is like, very he's... good. But th- this is the thing. Okay, so you know, Malkovich is always Malkovich in a good way. Like you get yeah. a good performance. You know where you stand with Malkovich. As the title character, Josh Brolin is really good as Jonah Hex. Okay, so we've got. A good title character, good performance there, good actor. You've got the bad guy. You've got the bad guy's right-hand man. While this is really shaping up, we're not only getting a good cast, we're actually getting good performances. The movie itself is not as good as the performances. <laughs> like, it really... No, it's, it, it feels really, very by the numbers. 
in a in a strange way. It's really noticeable that the cast are a lot better than the movie itself. I mean, Megan Fox, you mentioned that on the back of Transformers, she'd have still been really big at this time. Seeing her in this movie, and you're like, wow, she's giving a really good performance. But then yeah. it's like, but is she? Is it compared to the movie or to her credit? Is she legitimately giving a good performance? I mean, in the movie, she's playing Lila Black. We later find out her real name is Tula Black. And Tula is the name of the character in the comics. But first introduced in this, it's Lila. She's a gun-wielding prostitute. Yep. she is also jonah's love interest so they go back and forth a few times in the movie they have that good line when they're both tied up and he's saying have you got this gun have you got that gun because she's always got a gun hide hid somewhere yeah have you got this switchblade have you got that and she's like yeah. no they've got everything they were thorough yeah and then it's like <laughs> oh they searched you real good and then she's like wouldn't you and that was in all the trailers. Like they really you yeah. know, showed off that line and that interaction. And yeah, she's good. Although Fox herself does consider this movie to be her worst performance. Or her worst like, movie. I think her worst movie, I should say. Yeah, because I think I've heard her talk her probably worst performance is actually in Transformers, because she said it's a lot of like breathless of like <sighs> Sam. Like it'll kind of whiny and like because they're running all the time, she had to act out of breath because obviously they weren't running every single take. <laughs> you know, they <laughs> got mean, to reset her hair and do all makeup every like so a long time since I've seen that first movie. My memory of that is she was good. Yeah. Orange top, I believe. But it's been a yeah. long time since I've seen that yeah. one. But yeah. okay, so right. So she so what she's gone on record as saying then, she she considers this to be her worst movie, not necessarily her worst performance i'm sure she's done something worse i'd struggle to find one but i'm sure i'm sure there's one out there um yeah because jennifer's body is coming on part of the disney plus star <laughs> that's hilarious yeah I'm, i know that yes because we're supposed to be watching that with um, my housemate's girlfriend because right. we were looking for it everywhere we could not find it we could it's, you can't get it on dvd right now or blu-ray because it's been deleted so like What's, why, why where the, the demand heck is why why do you want to watch it? It's kind of a cheesy horror movie, which, and we'll just, you know, we've watched all the Final Fan, uh, Destinations and stuff recently. Ah, there you go. And I remember the all, I haven't watched it, but all I can remember about that movie is like, it's called Jennifer's Body because she's got a body people die for. I think she's killing people. I'm like, I think she's a zombie. Is she a zombie? This, I mean, or I, something, yeah. I've seen it, and Amanda Siegfried, she's in it as well. Yeah, I'm like, is that, I'm like, surely that's probably her worst movie it's it's very like taking advantage of the sexual uh interest people had in her at the time but like you said with all the performances this is a really strong performance from her yeah um, i mean i think she honestly i think she is good in this um, but now you've seen this movie though watch jennifer's body then get back to me let me know which one yeah which one's better and i, I will so will on that so he's in this movie as lieutenant grass a Union soldier who enlists Hex as a bounty hunter. Arnett was very keen to appear in the film, and mainly because he so rarely gets offered straight dramatic roles. So he jumped at it. And then they barely used him. They barely used him. And then you see him, and he's like, oh, this might be funny. Oh, no, it's not. So it's kind mm. of like he just pops up, and then that's... So he's in it. But again, yeah. like he... 
he got to do or star in a better DC movie with Lego Batman. Yeah, it's funny because playing President Grant was Aiden Quinn. And he's in the movie a lot more than Will Arnett, but he's a lot further down on the cast list. Um, he's one of the sons. Uh, Aiden Quinn, I've known... I've seen him in so many things. He's one of those guys back in the like late 90s, early 2000s. He just seemed to pop up all the time. So as soon as I saw him, I'm like, that's Aiden Quinn. I didn't even need to Google it. Um, and he's got a fairly strong like presence as an American president. I'm like, oh, that's a, that's a good role for him. It does, um, but he doesn't show up in many locations. And when you hear this next fact, I'll explain why. He was on set for three days. <laughs> So they had him for three days. They shot all his scenes. So that's why he's with the same actors and the same sets. Yeah, all right. That makes a lot of sense. He didn't move him around too much. I mentioned Hex getting the guns. Playing the gunsmith is Lance Reddick. Now, at the time of this movie, Fringe, that's what I knew him for. And he was in Deadwood as well, wasn't he? Yeah. Lance Reddick. But for me, it was Fringe. He pops up in this. Later, he pops up in John Wick. He's that He's guy. He's the concierge. He gives the main character information, weapons. That's yeah. what he does in movies. <laughs> but in, yeah, and he does it really well. He does so. Again, like a really good performance. You can yeah. pretty much just go through all the actors and say, wow, they gave a really good performance. Oh, in a, in a really good film. Ah, in a film. But their yeah. performances were, were really good. Yeah, it's um, if someone else who shows up <laughs> out of the blue, Jeffrey Dean Morgan. So strange. You know, he's actually he's uncredited in this movie. He turns up as Jeb Turnbull. So he yeah. gets brought back to life and he has that scene with Hex and then he's dead again. Yeah. But it's crazy. Um, Just pops yeah, I know. I'm, like, I'm like, holy crap, Jeffrey Dean Morgan. You know, another big DC alum because he's... And in quite a few DC properties, uh, Watchmen, obviously, um, as uh, Thomas Wayne in Batman v Superman. And he, he just pops up around. You know, most people probably know him best as Negan from The Walking Dead. Yeah. But I always know him as John Winchester of course, from Supernatural. Supernatural. Of course. Papa Winchester. That's what yeah. he is in that show. But there's there's other cameos in this. Now, I'm not overly familiar with this band, although I do now own some of their music. Mastodon guitarist and vocalist Brent Hines. Yeah. a small cameo. And the yeah. reason why I own some of their music is because with this movie, they released an EP. And I bought it on... Because I like to fully submerge myself or fully get into something when we're doing a review and they had it on itunes it's like five tracks it's 249 that was it yeah like two dollars fifty and that was the yeah. whole thing and mastodon did original music for this film again the music's good in this the, yeah. the composer, i'm not surprised because yeah. i did take note that it was very much a, a kind of hard rock uh metal feeling soundtrack no lyrics really but i'm very familiar with mastodon they're a band i i really enjoy and oh, they have been go. in a lot of stuff they were in uh quite a few episodes of game of thrones in the background as guys who were north of the wall 
Oh, that's cool. Because that's just how they look. That's just how they rock. So, you know, they, I think they're doing a, um, a walk on set for Game of Thrones. You know, they're being on tour at the time. They go, you know, do you think we could see what, where you film? And they, and they rocked up and they go, they just looked at him and went, do you want me in the background? You'd be perfect for the background. They're like, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. No, um, no makeup needed. Go stand over. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Originally for this movie, the composer was going to be John Powell. He was brought on to collaborate with Mastodon. However, the film had to undergo reshoots and re-edits and Powell had other commitments. So he left and was replaced by Marco Beltrami, whose sensibilities were different. And so Mastodon had to collaborate on a completely new score for the film, which was to their frustration. Yeah, I can imagine. So we're because... hearing in that there's reshoots, re-edits. The original composer had to leave. Beltrami got brought on board. It just, it was a bit of a mess, wasn't it? It was because what you hear is, like I said, with that, no lyrics or anything like that for the soundtrack. And it's, it's, it's generally in those sequences where there's voiceovers or they're, they're moving from one spot to another. I'm like, it sounds kind of like what you'd expect to get. Like you would pay someone on, uh, on SoundCloud, like, hey, can I use your stuff for a project I'm putting on YouTube? Uh, and that doesn't surprise me knowing, knowing how good Mastodon are. I'm like, this does not sound of their regular quality in that. Oh, that's because they had to rewrite everything for a different composer. It's, it's strange though. Cause I, okay. So I've got it up now. So on the, on the EP, there is the six tracks. So there's death March, Clayton boys, Indian theme, train assault, and then tracks five and six are alternative versions of death March and Clayton boys. And when you hear that music back, that's, that's the sound of the Jonah Hex movie. Yeah. I don't know what Marco Beltrami is bringing to it, like, other than just tying together what Mastodon are doing, because those tracks I have on the EP, nothing to do with Marco Beltrami. But when you listen to them, it sounds, oh, this is the Jonah Hex movie. So it's yeah. still, it still is them, but you're right. It's all the re-edits and everything else. It's yeah, probably uh, not their proudest work, I'd say. No, no. Um, because I, if uh, anyone listening, I do encourage you to go out and check out their albums. Um, uh, I think uh, the Leviathan is the name of the, one of their albums. They're all really good. They've actually got a really great soundtrack uh, film clip to one of their album, uh, their songs. Uh, that was fairly recent where it was all done in claymation, which was actually done. I think it was actually done by a fan and they've had that, that who did it themselves where, and all the instrument plucks and drum hits and that are in time, to the song. Wow. That's how much effort this guy did in claymation. And they since hired him to do another one of their film clips, but <laughs> cool. they are really good. Definitely check him out. This is definitely not indicative of how good a band they are. Um, yeah, Mastodon are amazing. Um, I know the guys at Comic Zone, big fans. Okay. It does play well with, again, you can see, I mean, this movie's like super stylized. It's not a straight Western, the supernatural elements, the, 
the use of weapons, automatic weapons, the music. There was something clearly here to begin with in the cast. We keep talking about the cast. There was something here and the movie they put out, it's just, it, it must be so far removed from what they set out to make. Yeah, it's strange. It's strange because it just... On the editing room floor, I've heard from a lot of people um, in lots of interviews with directors and stuff on podcasts, on behind-the-scenes stuff, on just normal interviews, them talking about how different a movie can look in the editing room. Um, uh, Kevin Smith talked extensively about this. I've heard the same from um, Jonathan Landau and even um, Max Landis talked a lot about this of like when you when you're editing a movie you're not because you have specific scenes and specific performances in those scenes and depending on how how long you let it run how long how how much you chop out and when you when you move shuffle things back around you know the tone of the movie can change completely just on the editing i'm like did like which 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 editing pass was this? Was this number three or number three hundred? Like, how many times did you go over this movie to to get it to this point? Did you did they have a thing of wanting it to go no longer than an hour and a half? Did they have like because every now and then you get a whole a, a studio movie DCs can be quite bad for this of deciding arbitrarily this is your runtime and this is where it must fit. I'm like because if this breathed and was allowed to slow down. Or maybe a more at the pace they had initially intended. Did they try to add more energy into it by cutting it up more? I, yeah, it's strange, but I'm, I'm sure there's a director's cut somewhere of this movie that plays much straighter, much more dramatic, uh, and probably more satisfying than what we've probably ended up with. Because, as you said, with all the performances they're putting in, the uh, the, the quality of the 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 costumes every everyone's everyone's yeah. hitting hitting quality marks and you, the the product doesn't equal the quality of the parts put in yeah and I, which is usually the opposite agree, way around I agree completely <laughs> and talking about opposite way around and um, just before we do our rating just occurred to me I didn't do the box office which typically yeah. I'd do at the beginning of the episode. So before we get to our rating, this movie was released June 18th, 2010. It was a major critical and commercial failure, grossing only 10 million against a budget of 47 million. Yeah. Oof. This movie, it's... I mean, I'm really glad that I have the Blu-ray. I really am. And I've seen yeah. it a couple of times. But for everybody involved, this has got to be a massive disappointment. I mean, it certainly didn't hurt Josh Brolin. Like, he's gone from no. strength to strength since this. And again, this is In movie fact, a lot out. of these actors, this entire cast have just... this. It's almost like this movie didn't happen for them, despite the, the really great performances they've all put in. They've, they've all, all continued done, to yeah. put very well okay since. since. They've all done okay since. But um, I'm curious, Jay, if you're going to rate this movie out of five um i'll probably come in the middle three because it's not bad this is this is actually kind of the i've discovered over my time talking to people about movies the worst a movie can be 
is fine. If it's great, it's fantastic. If it's garbage, it's also great because it generates a kind of feeling that a strong feeling, which people can be like, I hated this. I can't believe it. There's a passion there. When there's something's just meh, just there, that can be like a death nail because it didn't make you feel strongly one way or another. And I think that's where this movie falls straight in the middle at three. It's there's nothing about it overtly bad. There's just nothing. Uh, and in fact, there's a lot of really, as we said, it's really strong performances and that stuff. It's just the way the plot moves and the way everything lands in terms of the story just kind of leaves you like that sure was a film that happened. <laughs> It's, it's an interesting one. I can't necessarily think of a better example of a movie where the parts are better than the film like yeah. across the board. Like you mentioned, whether it's the actors, the costume, the effects, a lot better than the film. And it really feels like we're going after the writers here. But it's just... yeah. But, but again, regardless of whether it was a 90-minute movie, a two-hour movie the supernatural elements were clearly always there. So they were never really intending to make a straight Jonah Hex movie. Yeah. I'm just wondering with those supernatural elements, did they have to tone it down? Did they have to hit a PG rating or a certain rating and the supernatural elements were making it too heavy, too mature and they've had to back it off. And that's why it's ended up kind of dry somewhere in the middle. It's, it doesn't make sense. That should have added a flavor to make it richer and stand out more. But it, it, it feels like it's almost on the opposite and made it blander. Yeah, I was just, as you were talking there, I was looking around my room trying to find the, the Blu-ray on my shelf and I, and I found it. It's, here in Australia, it's an M rating. And then I was thinking, I wonder what, I wonder what Constantine was with Keanu Reeves. That was also an M here in Australia. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just so strange that it, with all of the elements attached, it got it comes out so bleh. Just like just, just <laughs> I yeah, mean, like going going edgier and darker, they wouldn't have lost any more of the audience because from the looks of it, not a lot of people turned up for this in the first place. That is that's got to be one of the lowest that we've reviewed. Like grossing to Yeah. But yeah. theatrical release. Just occurs to me as well. I've not actually given my rating, have I? I'm going to come in. I can't quite come in. I know what you're saying, like down the middle. But because yeah. we're at, rate out of five, down the middle's a three. And I always consider a three as a recommend. And that's, you can get really good threes. I'm going to come in just slightly under at a, at a 2.5. But that is for the performances. It's, it's the story, the, the film. It really, it, it lets it down. And we have had Hex before, whether it was an animated short he was talking about, and I think that was Thomas Jane who voiced Hex in that. Like we've had yeah. stories where it is Hex being Hex without these supernatural elements. But for people that have only had this movie as their exposure, their takeaway would be, oh, Jonah Hex, he's a supernatural character. Whereas yeah. he's not, he's a bounty hunter in the old West. He's got a scarred face. That's his yeah. thing. No superpowers. Yeah. He's basically, 
he's basically Boba Fett. <laughs> just yeah. old West Boba Fett. That's it. But if I'm going to say something positive, I'll say this. It's better than Catwoman. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which, yeah. Which we, Categorically, we, absolutely. <laughs> we reviewed recently and the two of us both gave it one out of five. Yeah. So Hex is better than Catwoman. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Well, that's it for our episode all about Jonah Hex. If you want to contact us about this episode or request a topic for an upcoming show, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast. As always, thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time.